Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Eehaw. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore, mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 82 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we're telling a folk tale about a doctor and a mysterious land. But first, I want to give a big shout out to anyone who's listening for the very first time and to any of our loyal devoted listeners uh, regular listeners welcome back and thank you so much for your continued support please do continue to leave reviews and subscriptions wherever you get your podcasts uh, please do follow me on instagram at fireside bard it's the best place to get in touch with me if you want to message me about the podcast and just see what's going on and if you want to get in touch and aren't on instagram you can do so by emailing me at the fireside bard at gmail.com this and if you really want to support the podcast you can of course do so at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast where you can join our ever-growing list of devoted benefactors and no new ones in the last week so i just want to give a another shout out to our most recent uh, our most recent patrons from the last couple of weeks which is martin carolyn and chuck lyle thank you so much for your generous donations and you're joining our ever-growing list of benefactors to the podcast thank you so much for the support it keeps the podcast going it keeps it's the ultimate form there's no doubt that it's the ultimate form of encouragement you know for i get incredible incredible joy out of the work that is put into this podcast and that is enjoyment enough for me and just to see that people are listening to it responding to it the messages mean so so much but there is no doubt about it especially in these troubling times that any and all financial support is a real is a real encouragement at this time so thank you so much to those two and indeed all of our patrons but of course the patreon is only there as the egalitarian model if you can and if you want to support it's there if not I'm happy to keep recording this podcast for you, the listeners. Uh, You can, in that stead, why don't you tell someone about it instead if you're not in a position to support it financially. Or don't, just keep enjoying it yourself, whatever you want. Yeah, it just seems, I hope everyone's doing okay this week. Again, anyone who's listening to this this episode in a month or a year's time, uh, made this hopefully will be all a distant memory, but... This is, I don't know, the 10th, 15th episode I've been recording in isolation uh, in the retreat that has been 
my return to my home of Wicklow Town and my mobile setup. I'm still not back in the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network Studios, although it is open, um, but I have not yet moved back up to my Dublin apartment because I got a good thing going here. It's been it's been really nice having the space to work uh, on my own writing and work away at the podcast. And it's great to have a relationship with my hometown that I haven't really had before. It's been it's been a good routine that we've been built back into. I've always, always loved living in Dublin, but like as long as there is no work and not even really any social life to it, it doesn't make any sense for me to move back up yet, although I have still been paying for it, which has been uh, a bit of a kick. But yeah, it seems like everything was really starting to go back to normal, but now, certainly here in Ireland, Phase three, phase four has been delayed in our easing of the restrictions. So it seems like things are getting a little longer. People were taking the piss, not wearing their masks, not socially distancing. And now the pubs, certainly, that were all ready to reopen today or yesterday, I think it was. Uh, no, Friday, sorry, uh, which was the to be the 17th or 18th, I think. And they couldn't, they couldn't open. They have been delayed for another few weeks at least, which hopefully the good that can be taken of that is that those who haven't been, you know, those who went straight back to normal and were just not paying attention to any of the eased restrictions, they will hopefully have got a slap on the back of the head now and just, we're all still in this together, you know, and that's a kind of, that was a reminder of that. And yeah, this week has felt a bit like, like, We've all been enjoying more and more of the easing of restrictions. And this week, certainly to me and certainly I think in Ireland, has been a reminder that we are in no way out of the woods yet. So be kind to each other. Be kind to each other and be kind to... (laughs) Be kind to all by uh, adhering somewhat to the restrictions. And there's my horrendous, horrendous uh, response to... <laughs> and my horrendous inarticulate response to what's going on at the moment. I uh, before I get down to the story, yeah. Also, just want to say I was in, I was camping last week, which was fantastic. I went camping in Glenmalure, which is really, I would have always thought, one of the greatest hidden treasures of Ireland. It is properly. I was there briefly before. I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast where I was totally rained out of it. But I was there for a couple of days last week and it was absolute paradise. It rained a bit on the first day, but didn't at all on the second day. And it was just, it was truly as uh, as close to living in a folktale as I had encountered being in the woods there, especially after doing the few Wicklow folktales. So highly recommend anyone who is around the Leinster area or further around Ireland at all, check out Glen Malore or just go camping. Camping is really having a moment again because no one can go into any music festivals this year. So everyone has the itch to get in a tent, get out in there in the wilderness and drink a huge amount of cans. But one thing I will say is please, for the love of God, clean up after yourselves because Glen Malore is also in an absolute tip now because of people coming in and leaving all their rubbish and I know people aren't coming down consciously doing that I know it's a hangover on the next day and you just want to get out of there but for the love of God stop setting your tents on fire and stop destroying my home county please and thank you very much yup Glenmalore 
take a little sup of my cleanse tea, which has become a staple of the podcast recordings now. If any rogue slurp has made it into the edit of any of the episodes from the last four months. The story this week, it's a folktale. It should be it should be a myth or a legend at this point, but basically because of how I regularly do this where I alternate between folk tales and a saga of some kind. It had always been the cycles of Irish mythology, but then we were doing briefly the fairy tales of Oscar Wilde. And I have very strongly in mind now a new territory that we're going to uh, but I just wasn't quite there yet uh, and I didn't want to rush it so I'm going to do uh, a folktale this week and a folktale next week and then when it resets back to the even numbers where I normally would be doing a myth we'll be beginning our new cycle our new saga which I'm really looking forward to it's really tricky territory because I'm dealing what I can say is I'm dealing with history this time somewhat more but I'm hoping to mix it in with mythology and folklore as well because this is a storytelling podcast this isn't a history podcast there are fantastic history podcasts uh, Irish history podcasts already out there the Irish history podcast with Finn Dwyer for one he's where you'd really want to go to I've also seen I haven't given a listen to yet so I can't give it a glowing recommendation just yet but I have seen that there is a new Irish history podcast called Shite Talk which is definitely up there with the best podcast names I've ever encountered so I am looking forward to listening to Shite Talk and seeing what it's all about but that will be in a couple of weeks our new cycle which I am really looking forward to it's territory I've wanted to explore for a long time because there are other there are further afield mythologies that I want to explore on the podcast but I don't think I could in good conscience without mining uh, the direct Irish a little bit more but that is all to come so the folktale for this week comes once again from Folktales of Ireland from by Michal O'Sullivan collected by Michal O'Sullivan or rather my adaptation of this folktale by Michal O'Sullivan again collected not by him collected by him and it is called the Doctor of Little Aaron this is a mysterious little folktale I discovered again it was a joy because I hadn't encountered anything quite like it little elements of maybe the fairy frog uh, and incidentally came from a similar section where there was a version of the fairy frog in this book in the same section where I found it But I'll let the story do the talking and we'll talk a little bit more afterwards. But here is the Doctor of Little Aaron on Fireside. The Doctor of Little Aaron Once upon a time, on the west coast of the island, in the small Connemara village of Karna, there lived a man named Lee. Lee was the only son of a family of daughters. Their mother had died in childbirth, and their father was elderly. Soon, responsibility for the family farm would rest on the Lee children. Lee the son's great relief and joy in life was his curra, his tiny canvas fishing boat which he used to sail out into Galway Bay whenever he got the chance. Whenever Lee went to sea, the Lee daughters would tend the farm and to their elderly father. 
And one day when the wind was firm but kind, and the tide calm and steady, Lee took his curra out from its carna mooring and out into the bay. He rowed out into the sun and wave of the fine Atlantic, but his morning was interrupted by a bump under the boat. We're well out to sea now, thought Lee. It cannot be shallow water. But Lee was also a seasoned enough sailor to know that high sandbanks and rocks were the silent and deadly enemies even in the deepest of waters. He looked over the side of the boat only to see that they had brushed off a tiny patch of dry land, no bigger than a dinner plate, and it was blooming with heather. Lee took his oar and pushed off the patch of land and continued to row across Galway Bay. Rowing in the direction he was ensured Lee was facing behind the boat and would frequently have to turn to look for any more obstacles ahead. But Lee soon had a much bigger priority coming up the rear. Calm as the day had been when he had first left shore, there was now a growing, galloping wave mounting behind Lee, which was sure to engulf and smash his tiny boat. He futilely began to increase the speed of his rowing, but knew that it would do no good. The only thing in the boat were three sods of turf, which Lee was using in place of a seat. He grabbed one of the sods and hurled it at the wave, and somehow the sea calmed. Lee couldn't believe that worked. It had to be a coincidence. Another wave soon mounted, even bigger than the first. Another sod of turf was thrown, and the wave was no more. When the third monstrous wave approached and Lee was down to his last piece of ammo, he launched it at the sea with all of his row-exhausted strength. Ah! he cried, and the sea said nothing. Lee knew another even bigger tsunami was brewing, and he had no more turf to feed it. When at last he saw the wave, twenty feet, tall enough he thought to drown his family farm and all his sisters, Lee thought he was finished. But then he felt something in his pocket. His penknife. He used it for cutting rope, always handy at sea, and it would prove its most useful here. Lee assumed the position of his best Captain Ahab and cried to the animate sea, From hell's heart I stab at thee. The blade harpooned the surf, and the sea was at peace. Then Lee felt another bump, but this was the bump of shallow water. He was back on shore at Karna. He was safe. Lee understandably lost a bit of his appetite for the sea following the turf war incident. This didn't stop him from telling every creature under every brick of Connemara all about it. His sisters and father were sick as a hangover of the story which grew in scale like the waves therein. First it was twenty foot waves, then fifty, soon one hundred feet. Everyone doubted if there had ever been waves in it at all. Old man Lee's health soon further deteriorated, and young Lee wanted to fetch him some flowers. 
He took a basket and went to a nearby hill to cut some fresh heather. The day was a scorcher and the heather was pungent. Lee felt faint. And then he did. He fainted and landed on the blooming heather. When Lee awoke, he was in a cottage that was not his own. He was face down on some kind of animal skin rug before a hissing, purring fire. He popped to his feet and when he looked around saw an old man sitting in the corner. He was white bearded, comfortably dressed and smoking a pipe. He was certainly the man of the house and everything you would expect from one sitting in a corner. You were asleep for quite a while there said the old corner man. Who are you? Where am I? All in good time, all in good time. Everything happens for a reason, you know. Did you bring me here? Relax, my son. Would you smoke a pipe at all? I would, said Lee. Well, let us smoke our pipes together, and I will tell you all. Lee got the feeling he wasn't going to get any answers until he did this, so he took the pipe from his pocket, loaded it with the loose dried tobacco in the other one, and retrieved the flintstone used to light or redden the flame. But just before the sparks could fly, the old man in the corner sprang up and cried, Oh, please don't take away my kingdom. Please don't take away my land and leave me wandering the roads, my poor little Aaron. What? replied the startled, bewildered Lee. I said, please don't use your flintstone to light your pipe. The whole place might go ablaze. Please, use the fire. All right, said Lee. Enough's enough. What am I doing here? Will you come with me and I'll show you? The old man led Lee up a ladder to the only other room in the cottage, the bedroom. Upon the double bed upstairs was laid the most beautiful woman Lee had ever seen. True, most of the women he had encountered in his time had been his own sisters, but still, this woman's long dark hair and deep blue enchanting eyes lured the young boatman in. But she was not altogether a pleasant sight, for the woman in the bed seemed to be in tremendous amounts of pain. She did not cry or shout, but the suffering was painted across her face. "'What ails her?' asked Lee. "'You must help her. She has been stabbed.' "'What? What do you think I can do? I'm the son of a farmer who likes to take in a boat out. I I'm hardly a doctor.' "'Look closer,' said the old man. Lee listened and looked. He went to the bedside and felt the twist in his own stomach as he saw the knife was still stabbed in the woman's breast. Worse, the knife in her breast was the very one Lee had thrown into, or rather at, the sea. Lee's brains had been boiled and now they were scrambled. Where else could he begin but by pulling his knife out of the poor woman? By all recorded medical journals, it should have caused bleeding, infection, or at least further intense pain. But remarkably, the beauty lying in the bed was healed, sat up in the bed, and threw her grateful arms around Dr. Lee.
Thank you. Now you must marry me, she said. Lee freed himself from her embrace and stood away from the bed. Oh, I'm sorry. I have no idea what's going on. But I can't marry you. But if you stay, you will inherit the kingdom of Little Aaron and want for nothing. Little Aaron is a place. I thought it was just this lad's son. Little Aaron, oh no. My father is ill and I am his only son. I must return to my farm to protect and provide for my sisters. After a disappointed pause, the old man said, Then at least let us give you a present. Oh, that's really not necessary. It is, just to show you there's no hard feelings. We know that you had to throw that knife. You were trying to save your own life. Anyone would have done the same. And now you have saved my daughter's life. And so we give you this. Lee was handed a large brown leather book, the shape and thickness of an old photo album. Take this, but you must not open it for seven years. If you wait, you will be the greatest doctor this land has ever known. Lee took the book, was led to the door, and as quickly as he had been summoned, was spirited out of the cottage and woke up in that same bed of heather on the hill. The days, weeks and months of the calendar peeled away like crusty wallpaper, but Lee resisted temptation and never opened the mysterious book. All the while more and more questions with no answers formed in his mind about his night in the cottage. He had told his sisters everything, and they had begged him to just have a peek. But, after three years, the Lee father was finally, it seemed, on his deathbed. The local doctor had given him mere hours to live. Candles were being lit, goodbyes were being said, and young Lee could wait no more. He opened the book. Inside were the medical secrets and marvels of the world that would take years to sift through. Three years, to be exact. For every page after the three-year mark instantly rotted away to nothing. But Lee instantly had enough intelligence and ingredients to heal his dying father. Dr. Lee's fame exceeded across Connemara, Connacht, the island, and soon across the Atlantic. There were none who were even half the doctor he became and all with only three years' worth of the magical medical book. Naturally enough, Dr. Lee always wondered what secrets had been lost. Immortality? Resurrection? We don't know. And we don't know what became of Lee. Because one day, he took his little curra out into Galway Bay and never returned. It's thought he returned to the cottage, married that woman, and now rules as the king of Little Aaron. The end. And that was the story of the Doctor of Little Aaron on Fireside. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, really, really liked this one. This, this was a story that had passed me by in my last sifting through of Folktales of Ireland, but... I when I was reading it again a couple of weeks ago 
stumbled upon this story and it stayed with me. It's it's the mysterious kind of unexplained aspects of it that I really like. There were aspects that nearly didn't make it into my adaptation because I couldn't explain it myself. First and foremost, what is Little Aaron? It is never in the version I found and I tried looking it up. There's no mention of a Little Aaron as a place in folklore. Now, to get out of the way, in case anyone was thinking about straight away, straight away, of course, this story is set in Galway and features Galway Bay. And what is out in Galway Bay? The Aran Islands. So the three islands of the Aran Islands, which are Inishmore, Inishman and Inishir. So to get it out, like that was the, my first thought that uh, Little Aran was another name for the smallest, the smallest of the Aran Islands. But... If you take um, the Blasket Islands, um, the Blasket Islands, the largest of the Blasket Islands is named on Vlaskade Moor, which is just the big Blasket. So it would stand to reason that there would be an Aran Biog or, uh, or Little Aran, you know, and just like there's Aran Moor, like big, the biggest, but uh, because that's what Inishmore means is big island. But there doesn't seem to be as much of a record of the Aran Islands being known as Inishbjog or Arambjog. I could be wrong in that. Any Galwegians out there who want to, or uh, Clare, Clare people as well, because they're quite close to it as well, who want to tell me if the Aran Islands, if the smallest Aran Island is known as Little Aran at all. But certainly when I looked up, the Aran Islands themselves didn't come up. All that came up was uh, Little Aran Jumpers, so Aaron jumpers for little people, like kid jumpers, which uh, was funny now, uh, and different kids' knit designs for a little Aaron jumper. But of course, it's the mystery, it's the not knowing and the unexplained that makes it interesting. And the other implication is that little Aaron is a mysterious land, or is little Aaron this little patch of heather that that Lee's boat runs aground of when he's out in Galway Bay, is Little Aaron another tiny Aran Island. And when he is spirited away, when he falls asleep in the heather and is transported, is he shrunk down? Is this Little Aaron? Are these tiny, tiny little fairies? You know, fairies in Irish folklore are usually about three foot tall or human-sized or taller. Rarely are they the, the pixie size often associated with fairies. But perhaps they are that smaller, even smaller, if Little Aaron is this teeny tiny kingdom which Lee is transported to. And the strangest part of the story of all for me, which might have been confusing to you, it certainly was for me. And I could have again not included it because I couldn't totally rationalize it. But the mystery I found as appealing and didn't want to take it away because of that. And that is the when Lee takes out his pipe to smoke and he has his little piece of flint to redden it the man in the corner cries out totally unprovoked saying don't take away my kingdom my kingdom of little Aaron don't light your don't light your pipe with the flint stone now I kind of made more of a gag of it as I said uh, as I had in mind where you know he said what did you, he says it and then what did you say and then he backtracks and says something else but in this version I found he just 
that is just a compound speech of don't take away my kingdom so is this the king of little Aaron does he not want the daughter to marry Lee and it's just the daughter that wants to marry but then of course yes the implication is that Lee touched this small piece of land and then these waves started to follow him the waves which seem to be this daughter of little Aaron this woman in the bed her following is she trying to kill him is she trying to just sweep him out is she trying to take him to little Aaron then and these sods of turf thrown at the sea these are actually hitting and abating her and then when the knife is thrown this actually stabs her and in her human form her uh, her humanoid form she is then stabbed uh, which is an incredible visual because you know waves are often personified or is it personified if they take the form of an animal whatever the word is for that they usually take the form of horses in folklore anyone who see i saw frozen 2 which i just watched for the first time because it just got added to disney plus last week of which uh yeah i mean it was absolutely nothing of the magical of the original which i do think there is a huge amount of magic in i was an enjoyable watch because they they tried a lot different, you know. The music suffered greatly because you could tell each song was trying to just replicate each individual song from the first one. And so the songs felt a bit more out of place and just subpar compared to the the brilliance of some of the original music. In fact, all the original songs. But what a strong element the story did have was the feature of um, a water water horse that Elsa summons from the deep uh, which is a very specific character in Scandinavian folklore I discovered and indeed Poseidon in Greek mythology is the god of the sea and horses because of the ways waves gallop but I had never encountered waves taking the form of a woman uh, or a person in general and that was a really interesting aspect to this story was that this woman tries to take presumably take him maybe to kill him or maybe just to take him to little Aaron at that point wherever or whatever little Aaron is and yeah in a a very like the fairy frog situation you get this a bit in folk Irish folklore stories where mortals tangle with the other world is that once you have seen the other folk they try to keep you there either by forever or blind you to seeing them or to marry them and keep you there it's always about keeping the secret which really keeps the the spirit alive and because that's how you'd believe that people did believe that these were there having not seen them because they believed that the mortals who had seen other fairy had seen the other folk were you know changed by it for the worse often or were kept there either as prisoners or married among the other folk and then you have these half breeds going out where you have these children born who are half fairy and half mortal and that is where as far as i'm concerned you get stories like this the doctor of little aaron but i will wrap things up before because i have been on a tiny tiny i'm literally on no bars now on my recorder it has been on one bar for most of it and i think i've said most i think i've said all what uh, i wanted to say about this really good story hope you enjoyed it yourselves yeah this i think this one will stay with me this will go into a a later collection 
Um, let me know what you thought if you had any thoughts as always please do contact me at Fireside Bard on, over on Instagram or at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you want to get in touch about anything thank you so much for listening uh, thank you so much to Alan and Patty at Headstuff and for Jamie for continuing to edit this podcast and of course thank you to all my listeners as a, just a final note I wanted to say where I live in Wicklow is you know I always consider the countryside because it's outside the town and it's surrounded by fields. But, you know, it's really not. It's quite close to a town. I'm definitely more of a townie than I am uh, a colchi. Um, but that's not as much of a thing in Ireland because, like, a townie is someone we'd associate from a city because our cities are basically just big towns. But I'm having a particularly rural moment at the uh, today, be- and I hope you haven't been able to hear any of it because there is a field across from my house that has recently just, uh, that has been bailing its hay today. And several times over the course of recording this episode, the tractor has gone past the house, going up into the field and returning with massive, massive bounds of hay, or bales of hay. And I'm just marvelling at the sheer quantity of them. And it's a particularly rural moment today in Wicklow Town. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I just wanted to share that with you. So I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.